main idea today. It's not your treasure to bury money. The Bible speaks more about money than any other resource God has given us. Money reveals more about our gospel, faith, idolatry, obedience, and heart than anything else. As challenging as this subject may be, tithing to the church is a gospel discipleship issue. The second to this is probably how we spend our time. But by a long shot, the Bible speaks deeply about this because this issue reveals more about what we believe about the gospel, more about our faith in God, more about our obedience, more about our discipleship, more about our heart than anything else can. So this hits us where we live. Now, a couple weeks ago, I said that I, we would do some practical podcasts. Uh, we have a podcast that comes out every Tuesday. We'd love for you to check into that, listen to that, but we will do some pr practical ones. So we'll take the topics that we cover on Sunday, and we'll do some practical things, mostly out of Proverbs, the wisdom that God gives us on how to handle time, how to handle money, how to plan, how to build community, those kind of things. We'll do those on Thursdays. After I said that, I got sick and did nothing, so I'm behind, all right? But got some time coming up this week, uh, and I would love to get back at that. So be on the lookout on Thursdays for a different podcast to come out apart from our normal one, and that'll post so that you have some practical resources on this. If this is a topic, money, is one that hits you and you feel like, okay, I'm out of control in this area. I don't know how to do this. My business or my home or my personal finance, whatever. I'm buried in debt. I'm upside down in my house or whatever it might be. Then again, I can't, I can't urge you enough to consider financial peace. Uh, it's nine weeks and it will change your financial life. I don't care how much or how little you make. And so we get nothing from that. It's, a, it's something we offer to you. And so really, I can't encourage you enough to do that. So we're going to be in 2 Corinthians 9, as I said today. It starts off with this, verse 1, if you want to follow along. Now it is superfluous for me. There's superfluous. We use that all the time, right? Now it is superfluous to me to write to you about the ministry for the saints. So... We're picking up late into a conversation Paul is having with a church in a city called Corinth, all right? You've heard of Corinthian leather, leather, same idea. It's from Corinth, right? There's a Corinth in, I think, Michigan. Is that right? Corinth, something like that. Iowa, Michigan, something you fly over a lot. Anyhow, there's a city here named after this, right? This was the first century church that Paul, as he and Barnabas had gone out to plant churches and share the gospel, this is a church that he had helped start. And so there are two letters in the Bible that he writ, writ, had written to them. There's at least four that we think we know of, and so this is an ongoing conversation. If you guys are around the Essentials course, you'll remember this. As Paul would go and instill the gospel in a community of people, and he would disciple them or train them or teach them, to be a disciple is just to be a student. To disciple is to teach, to make a student of yours, Right? If you go to an English class, you are a disciple of the English teacher, hopefully, right? If you're in martial arts or anything else, like you're a disciple to a teacher. It's a common thing. We just don't use that language as much anymore. So Paul discipled them. He taught them their faith. He taught them the scriptures. He passed this on to them one-on-one. -on -one. He encouraged them to continue doing that. And then he went away to do other things, to, to go plant other churches, to go be a part of sharing the gospel in other places, then often he would circle back to those very same places that he had already spent time to check in with them. He would go back and make sure that they were healthy and doing well, pour into them some more, and then leave. When that, when that was not enough, he would write them letters. He would encourage them by having letters sent to them. When that was not enough, if they were really in need, he would then go send people to them. Remember, Paul did much of his ministry in prison. So as he was imprisoned for his faith, he wrote these letters, he sent other people because his heart was to pass off how to be a faithful Christian, how to, how to understand what God has done for us through Christ in the gospel and how the Holy Spirit applies that to our lives so that we can grow and learn the teaching that Jesus gave us, right? So he would do that one-on-one, -on -one. he would circle back, he would care for these churches, and then he would write them letters, he would send people, and this is a part of that process. This is a part of him caring for the church in Corinth that he loved, and discipling them, and training them, and teaching them. 
He says, now it's superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints. Superfluous is a word that just means unnecessary, or I've already covered this ground. So here's what Paul is saying. We're picking up late in a conversation. He's saying, I've already had this conversation with you. You already know this. It is probably unnecessary for me to go through it again. But then in a minute, he's going to say, but I'm going to do it anyways, and here's why. But here's what we need to know today if we're going to understand Paul's conversation to the church in Corinth. And I'll put this up on the screen for you. Paul is the Christian leader or pastor or church planter, whatever you want to call him, Old Testament scholar and pastor who started the Corinth church. Because of Paul, they know that tithing is biblical. They already, so the church already believes these things. These are Paul's givens, things he assumes that they already know because he's already taught them. That tithing is biblical. It means the first tenth of their income. That it is done by every believer equally, and it is given to the church for the work of the ministry. In order to understand what Paul says here today, you have to assume those four things. You have to assume he's already taught the church in Corinth that tithing is, is their call, right? No matter if they're rich or poor, doesn't matter. That it's biblical, that it means the first tenth, and then it goes to the church so that the church can do the work of the ministry that God has called them to do. All right, fair? Now, if you don't agree with all of those, we can have that conversation differently. But for today, Paul knows they believe this. Paul has taught them that, which gives it some biblical legitimacy. It means that, that Paul believes this about Scripture. And again, Paul is the Old Testament scholar, Jewish religious leader, turned Christian pastor, if you will, or Christian leader, who started this church. So he's already imparted this to them. So he's speaking to them from this paradigm that they already know these things about tithing. If you're unfamiliar, if you just walked into the church today, if you stumbled in, smelled coffee, and got a donut, and then landed in church accidentally, let's start here. From the beginning of creation, God has called people to give. It hasn't always been like dollars or coins. In an agrarian setting where they grew crops and raised animals, it was crops and animals. You get the idea. Whatever your business is, whatever the first tenth of that business is, would go to God. It would go to God as an act of worship, something that Rob said earlier, that our giving today is a part of our worship. We do it as a part of worshiping God, right? Worshiping God is more than singing. It's our lives glorifying God. It's our obedience and discipleship to God. First tenth means this, that the first 10% goes to God, meaning you must trust him for the other 90, Right? That means if you grow animal, uh, grow animals will get you. If you grow crops, right? If you, if you grow corn or if you grow wheat and your first harvest comes in and you give that to God, you're trusting that God is going to continue to provide. If you have animals, if you have a litter of animals and you take, for whatever reason, your, your lambs, have, you know, your sheep have 10 lambs and you take the first one and you give it to God, you're trusting that God can provide through the other nine, that they're not going to get sick and die, that they're going to provide for you, that they're going to be enough. And so that first tenth idea is a, is a statement of faith. It is a, an act of obedience, and it is how God has taught them. So Paul has passed this on to the church. That's what tithe means, literally. You'll hear first fruits, and you'll hear 10%. It's the first tenth. That's what that literally means. And it's to everyone across the board. And you may be poor and trying to figure out, like, hey, man, that means, like, $100 of my $1,000. Like, that's a lot of money, right? It'd be easy if I was rich and I made $10 million. Let me suggest to you that $1 million check would be super tough to write. I don't know that by experience, <laughs> but I'm guessing giving that $1 million check would be tough. So it, it is it's something that hits everybody, Right? And I know in our nation and our tax system and the way that we have been raised here, we see things on a sliding scale and we have a different view of what's right or fair or wrong or whatever, your fair share, as many have said. This was something that God had started from the beginning, had carried on. Paul had passed on to the church in Corinth. Verse 2, for I know your readiness, of which I boast about to you and the people of Macedonia, another city locally. 
saying that Ikea has been ready since last year. And your zeal has stirred up most of them, but I'm sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready as I said you would be. Have you ever heard of something going on in a church, an initiative? We, like last Sunday, we, we had a follow-up meeting from something we did in November. So Pastor Mike Brown came out here in November, talked about how we can connect to the local need in L.A. County uh, around foster care. There's 35, 40,000 kids in L.A. County that are currently in foster care, and the statistics are incredibly grim for those in foster care. Their success rate in life is incredibly challenged. And so we talked about how can we partner with them. So the modern day, if you will, widow and orphan, which the Bible talks a lot about, is probably the single parent and the foster care kid. That's probably our deepest connection to that. And so he was out here in November kind of giving us some awareness of that, and then we had him come back out last week. He taught a message in this series, and then we did about a two-hour follow-up meeting about how Generations Church can engage in foster care, how we can partner with L.A. County, and believe it or not, L.A. County wants us to partner with them, and how we can care about kids. Have you ever heard like an initiative like that, and you got really excited about something, you got motivated to go do it, and then all of a sudden either the church waned or your excitement waned or something happened, and this thing that you were all fired up about at one point comes six months to a year later, nobody's even thinking about or talking about? This is what Paul's writing about right here. You were excited about this a year ago, but I'm circling back to talk to you because I want to make sure you're still there. So, you know, sometimes we start something and we, we want to do it one day and then somehow it wanes and dies and cools, right? Verse 4, he says, otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you're not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. Paul makes the point, the spiritual disciplines are, are called that, whether that be prayer, your personal time in God's word, community, tithing, giving, serving, all those things. They're called spiritual disciplines, fasting, right, silence, rest, Sabbath. They're called disciplines because they require discipline, because they're not easy, right? They're not just easy to keep into our life. Super common, your life gets busy, and what's the first thing that goes? Man, your time in prayer, your time in the Word, it, it is challenged. Things get hard, and you don't want to spend that time alone with God, just kind of knowing the flaws that exist. Well, the same thing, tithing, giving, it is a spiritual discipline. It requires that we stay after it. That's what Paul is saying to the church in Corinth. He says, listen, I know you're excited about this. I know you're interested in participating in this. So what had happened was the church in Jerusalem, who had really been the birthplace of the Christian church, had sent out people. In fact, Paul and Barnabas had gone from Jerusalem to Antioch. Antioch, they'd spent time, and from Antioch's when they went out and planted Corinth. And so all this circles back to now the church in Jerusalem is in need. As Christians have been persecuted in Jerusalem, there is a need. And so this has gone out to the churches, and the churches desire to participate in caring for the need. So Paul had talked to them in Corinth, they were excited to contribute to the solution, but that had been some time ago. So Paul is circling back, and he's writing them and saying, listen, I'm sending some guys to you because I know that you're all fired up about it at one point, but sometimes these passions, these convictions, these efforts, these disciplines, sometimes they tend to kind of cool down and wane. He says, so otherwise... If they were to come with me and find out you're not ready, we'd be humiliated, and so would you. Like for, for saying, hey, we're going to do this, and then not being able to perform on that, not being able to keep your word. He said, so it's better off that I just have this conversation with you ahead of time. Verse 5, he says, so I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift that you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift and not an exaction, right? So here's another way of saying that. Like, I want what you give to be a part of your worship. I want what you give, I want it to be a willing gift, right? I don't want to have to go door to door and knock on your doors and say like, hey, remember, you guys said you would do this. Can you do it? And, you know, that's what Paul is saying. Like, I want this to be a part of your worship. I want this to be a willing gift. I want this to be something where I don't have to go and remind you of your commitment or remind you that, that we have this need or whatever it might be. 
I think there's a piece of that that I understand as a pastor, and it may play into why we don't talk about money very much. We might use it as an example here and there, but rare, literally, it's been kind of once a year, like we'll hit this topic dead on. And I think I understand with Paul, like I, I want this to be something you desire to do, but what I miss is Paul saying, hey, listen, this is a discipline, this takes work. This is kind of the same reason we don't pass a plate, right? If you've ever been to another church, uh, a lot of times they'll pass an offering plate around, you put your offering in the plate, and there's nothing wrong with that. We don't do that because what we're really desiring is that people will give because they desire to give, right? There's, and there's more to it. A lot of people give online. I give online. And so, you know, we pass a plate, and I've already given online. What am I going to do? So we're just, that's just not the way for us that we want to do that, right? So for us... We do giving in service, so it's a part of our worship. Our deacons come up here. They have these baskets, and it's for two things. It's for your offering, and if you're a guest here, if you're a guest today, our first or second time guest, and we want you to fill out that connection card that's in the seat in front of you, that's a place where you can put that, right? We considering tithing and giving. That's for the people that call this church home, right? Not for our first-time guests. We're not passing a plate hoping they'll give too. But really, it's just a way of saying, listen, we want this to be a part of your worship, That's what Paul is saying. I want this to be a willing gift, a part of your worship, something that you do because you're so in love with what Jesus has done for you that you desire to see this not only happen to other people, but you're willing to be obedient in all these tough areas. So Paul says, I I hope that this can just be a willing gift, right? Verse six, Paul says this, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Here's what he says. So this, again, is a sowing and reaping. That's an agrarian or uh, people, again, that grew crops for a living, grew food for a living. This is something that hits them. But the Bible speaks about this using this example because it has some things that it reveals to us, too. We'll get to that in a minute. But here's the premise of what Paul says. When you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. I'll get to that in a minute, Ashley. When you invest in something a little, you get a little bit of a return. That can be true about your prayer life. That can be true about church. That can be true about your faith. That can be true about anything. When you sow sparingly, in other words, when you plant a little, what you harvest is a little. But Paul says this, when you plant a lot, what you harvest is a lot. Now, don't run into this idea, and there's a common doctrine today, some very famous names in Christianity on TV or whatever, that are, are a part of what we call the prosperity doctrine, right? Well, they'll stand and say, listen, the more you give, the more God wants to make you rich. We're not saying that, right? At all. He may. He may make you rich. We hope he does. Not the point. What you do in small portion returns you in small portion. Your sacrifice, if it's little, you grow a little. Your sacrifice, when it's greater, grows you much more. Again, it's harder to make that leap from not giving to going to tithing, which is the first 10%, if your budget is already too small. A lot of people will half-step it. I'm not, listen, people have got to figure out what they're going to do. But people that take these little steps, they see incremental changes, and that's good. What Paul is saying is make the leap, man. God's big enough to figure this out with you. Hey, I've got this sin in my life I need to let go of. I don't want to just inch away from it. Like Paul would say, jump, right? Like get away from it. Trust God. Trust that God is big enough for you in this case. So yes, he's speaking about money, but this is a principle that's true. And this is what we would call like a proverb. Proverb is a book in the Old Testament, if you're unfamiliar, and it's a series of truisms. It's different than promises, right? If you do this, I promise you this outcome right? This has a level of promise to it, but it's not saying if you tithe, God is going to make you rich, right? It's a truism, meaning this, what you sow sparingly, you harvest sparingly. What you give sacrificially comes back to you big, right? Maybe it comes back in the same way. Maybe it comes back in another way. Maybe you find out that you've participated in something that really resonates with your heart, and you're just, can't, you're just ecstatic and glad to be a part of it, Maybe it comes back to you financially. I don't know. But that's not the guarantee here. 
The guarantee is about your faith. The promise is about your faith. What you do in small part will come back to you in small part. You go varsity, it's going to come back bigger. You level up, God's there. Saying, listen, man, I want to bless you in ways. And again, may not be a one-for-one. One. may not be money for money or time for time or prayer for result. It may not be that. But he's saying, I'm there. Like, I want to meet you, but I can't, not can't, but I won't outmatch your faithfulness or unfaithfulness. I will meet you where you want to go. And I will provide more than you anticipate. Can you trust me? That's what Paul is writing to them. So sowing and reaping. The Bible often uses this specific agricultural image to teach about trusting God with finances because it teaches principles about faithful giving. Tithing takes faith. What I mean by that is, again, maybe the budget numbers don't work. What Dave Ramsey says, you've got more month than money, right? Like you run out of money before you run out of month, right? Maybe the numbers don't work. It takes faith sometimes to say, okay, well, I'm going to give to God anyhow, right? I've been there. I don't know how it's all going to work out. Is God big enough in that moment, right? So, Again, think of planting. You take these seeds, you've got ground. You place them in the ground, it's not immediate. It takes time. You've got to water. It takes work, right? So it teaches us principles. Tithing takes faith. It takes commitment. It takes sacrifice. It takes discipline. Like growing food, the desired benefits aren't immediate. But God is faithful and the harvest comes. You don't walk out and put a seed in the ground one day, splash some water in it, go back inside, eat Cheetos, watch TV, come out the next day, and you have a bunch of food. Right? That's why this agricultural metaphor or, or, or simile is, is one that is often used because sometimes our faith, our giving, they take time. But God calls us to step out in that faith, trusting him. Verse 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So bear in mind when you hear this verse, this isn't like a back door for everybody to do whatever they want to, right? But it gets used that way. Well, I'm not a cheerful tither, but I'm a cheerful maybe give you 20 bucks once in a while, right? It's not that verse, right? Just like God says, well, you know, sin when you want to, but when you're comfortable, you know, let's come over here, right? It's never that. Here's what it says. Each person's got to do what in their hearts they have committed to doing. Because God wants you to be joyful about what you do. Now, this is premised on the gospel. So how many of you guys at one point or another did the essentials course that we just did? Because there's like, four, there's more than that. There's like 40 or 50 of you that started about 25 who got across the finish line, right? Well, it was, as soon as I gave homework out, Everybody disappeared. But anyhow, so it happens, right? Here's one of the premises. We talked about the proclaimed gospel or the kerygma in the New Testament, and then the teaching or the response of the believers called the Didache, right? These things that existed in the first century that the apostles used, this is the gospel, and this is what it means to live like you believe in the gospel. And what we found was is that the gospel is proclaimed a lot more than the things we're supposed to do or not do. And I'll be honest with you, going into it, knowing better, just, again, last, you know, October maybe, as I really pressed into this, I found that the, the volume of gospel is so much more than the amount of what we're supposed to do in response to it, that I was surprised at how much more. So things like this, we hear this as teaching. We hear this as, hey, this is what God is telling you to do. Hey, this is what is anticipated or expected from you as a Christian. If you identify yourselves as a follower of Jesus, this is what it should look like. But understand, Paul never leaves the gospel, right? We never leave the gospel. The, the truth in the gospel, what Jesus has done for us, his life, his death, his resurrection, his filling with the Spirit, his promise of return, his incarnation, his sinless life, all these things. We never leave that. We don't learn that, then get introduced to our faith, and then somehow leave that. We stay there. So Paul's doing the same thing. In 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, this is like 20 verses earlier, he says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, 
so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. So this is just probably like 20 verses earlier from where we're at right now. You can scroll back if you're on your phone, turn a page, whatever you might need to do. But Paul roots giving in the gospel. He reminds us that God created us and loves us, but in our sin, we rejected God. Now that's we, corporate humanity, back in the garden with Adam and Eve, but then in our lives, we have rejected God too. And, and really, every time that we choose our way versus God's way, we're rejecting God, right? Because again, you don't get to pick and choose from God, like, okay, like, a, like a kind of a cafeteria menu. Well, I like this and I like this, but I don't like this piece. Because really what you're saying then is you're God, and he's just kind of a genie in a lamp. You don't get to look at Scripture and say, this is authoritative, but this isn't, because what you're truly doing is saying you're authoritative over Scripture, right? Scripture becomes there to serve you. God is there to serve you. Either it's all right or it's all wrong. Either God is right, His Word is inerrant, he is infallible, and it is timeless and true for us today, or it was never true about everything. Right? That doesn't mean that the Bible needs to be a textbook on science or this or that, but as it speaks to us about our faith and what we are called to do, it's not just cultural. It is universal, and it is throughout history. And the gospel said that we are separated from God by our sin. But God so loved the world, most famous verse in all of the Bible, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God has one son. He doesn't give one of ten. He has one. And he gives all of him for us. This verse says that Jesus laid down his rich, his riches, for our sake became poor. In other words, God on the throne, Jesus, got off the throne, laid down his divinity, his being all places at all times, knowing all things at all times, laid that down, confined himself to human flesh, was born in a child, lived a sinless life, endured all our temptations, but didn't fail, would go on and then die a death. The creator of life, Jesus, will die. I don't even know how that works. If you invent life, you, you then endure death. But he did that on our part. He did that so that we could live with him. So he died our death, and then he rose from the grave. So Jesus is alive today. That's the gospel. And that he has ascended back to heaven, pouring his spirit out on us, empowering us to live what he has called us to live, promising, I will return and I will right what is wrong. In the meantime, I will slowly work through you to heal and redeem you, your church, and the community you live in through the power of the gospel. Paul reminds us that God gave his only son. Paul reminds us that Jesus gave 100% of his life when he, and, and, and he laid down everything else when he came from heaven to humanity. All this is the premise of now what you get, the first tenth goes to God. Do you see the basis in the gospel? That God will outgive you every time. That God will give his only son. That Jesus will give his very life. And then the call is for us to honor that and give back in ways. Financially, in our time, serving the church, building community, growing, whatever that might be. That he gives everything and then calls us to slowly give back. That giving is not some abstract rule, that it's based in the gospel. It's based on Jesus giving first and us responding. Another way to see that is this. If you have breath in your lungs today, it's because Jesus said so. It's because God put it there. He let the sun rise. He let you breathe. And if you have a talent or a skill, he instilled that in you before you were born. So if you can create an, an income out of that breath and that skill, great. He gave it to you. Not asking for all of it. He's asking you to be faithful with all of it and to tithe back.
It's rooted in the gospel. We never leave the gospel message. So I'll read this to you again. Verse 7, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Here's what's going on in this church. His expectation, his given, is that they're already tithing to their church in Corinth. And that over and above that, there's this need in Jerusalem, and that they have decided that they would also participate in this. And so he's saying, over and above that, as you've already cared for your church, and your church is also taking some of what they have, and they're going to care for this need, but you too have agreed you're going to add to it, you're going to give to it. Like we do that sometimes. When we have a need or we do something above and beyond what God has called us to do, we look around and we ask the question like, who would like to participate? Who would like to give towards this? Not required to, not expected to. And God does amazing things in those times. But it's not in place of. It's in addition to. He says, God, so each one must give what he's decided in his heart to give. And then he should do it not reluctantly or unwillingly, but cheerfully because God loves a cheerful girl. He doesn't want you to do it. One, expecting like, hey, I'm just doing this. I'm going to give this much, hoping God will make me rich. Like, you're missing the point. I'm going to do this so that I can brag about what I did. Okay, you're totally missing the point, right? But I'm going to do this because God has given me everything, so I'm going to do everything I can to care for the needs of other people so they can know about a Jesus who loves them too. That's what he's saying here. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. does not mean you pick how you do it, but over and above that generosity is an attribute that we inherit from God. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. Again, this is a gospel, a heart issue. Where is your heart when you're doing this? And again, that's not a cop-out saying, well, my heart's in the wrong place, so I'm not going to do it. No, it's saying get your heart in the right place. Get your heart in the right place, because maybe your heart's too given to this topic. Remember what Jesus says, you can't serve God and money. You can't serve both. You will love one and hate the other, he says. So this isn't a cop-out. This is a, let's get your heart right. God loves a cheerful giver. Not, God is not going to love you anymore. God does not, it's not that God does not love you if you don't do this. God already loves you. God already gave Jesus for you. God has already sacrificed everything in you, but God is pleased with a joyful giver, someone whose heart is in the right place and does this from a place of worship. Does that make sense? We can't read this and get the wrong thing out of it, or we miss the entire point. Verse 8, and God is able to make all grace abound in you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may, be, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he is distributed freely, he is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. First, we give back. Sometimes that's a sacrifice. In fact, I will say almost always it's a sacrifice. Very rarely have I ever given because I'm like, gosh, just don't know what else to do with this money that I have, right? <laughs> Again, I chose the wrong profession for that. Really, seriously. <laughs> always a challenge. But I've grown to a place where it's always good. Sometimes hard, but always good. Always good. Because God is always good. He says, my grace can abound for you. There's a challenge here, and I'm going to use this verse twice today, I think. Uh, but Malachi 3 says this, bring the full tithe into the storehouses that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open up the windows of heaven for you, and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Here's what he says. It's the only place in all of Scripture where God says you can test him. He says, you take your tithe, the full tithe. He says, bring the full tithe into the storehouses. He's talking about the temple or the church of that day. He's saying, bring the full tithe in here so that there may be food in my house. In other words, so that in the church there may be enough to do the ministry I've called them to do, to provide for that. He says, and then test me. See if I won't open the windows of heaven to you and pour out for you a blessing until there is no more need. God says in this one area, knowing it's so hard for every one of us, you can test God. That he won't respond, that he won't honor, that he won't do what he has promised to do when you are faithful. I use this example a lot, and I know today's going to run a little long, so bear with me. 
I've watched as people have come in and they've been incredibly committed to church and Bible studies and community groups and serving and all this, and it's because they're unemployed. And they come in or they're single. These are the two most common ones. And they come in and they press into the church because they know that's what they need in that time of struggle, when they're alone and they're single, or when they're unemployed and they're in need. They will come in and invest in and just love being a part of the community of faith. And then either they'll meet somebody and begin to date, or they will get a job. And the very thing that they've been praying for, for however long they've been doing that, and the very place they've been pressing in to find the, 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 the place where they can bring their need and, and get joy and satisfaction in the midst of their struggle and their need, that very thing that God answers their prayer with a job or a person that they can love will be the thing that draws them out of church. Because now we're in debt, so we're working overtime, and so now I'm working on Sundays. Or I, now I work a lot, and I'm tired, and so I won't go to community group. Or I'm dating now, and that has drawn me off base over here. And there's these reminders that God says, remember to do what I've called you to do and see if I won't provide. But then there's this idea of discipline, because sometimes when God provides is when we forget that it's him that gave it to us. And it draws us off track, and we forget and that's why it's called a discipline or a habit of something you have to create. Verse 10 says, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for the food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Here's what he's saying. Let's transition this to money is what he's talking about. He will provide seed to the sower. He will provide income to the giver is what he's saying. And he will provide harvest for the church. He will provide enough budget for the church. That's what he's saying. He who supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. As we commit ourselves to obedience in this area, it costs us, it's sacrifice. And he's saying, but know this, not only can I make your, what you need, what can I provide for that? I can make it abound in you. I provide seed for the sower but also I provide the harvest. I can make what may be seemingly a little bit to you, I can make it go and be what we need it to be. There's a book that talks about this, uh, this topic. It's written for churches, for leaders. And it says there is plenty of money for ministry. As most pastors will tell you, there's not enough money to do the ministry that we desire to do, right? The things that we desire to do in our community or elsewhere. It's not, it's not their salaries, it's not their staff, it's the ministry they want to do. Sometimes it is staff, because that sometimes is the ministry you want to do. This author says, listen, there's plenty of money for the ministry you want to do. It's right there in your church. It's right there. You just don't get it. You're not getting it. You're not talking about it. You're not casting a compelling vision for it. You're not doing it. It's there. Like the resources are here for us. And God says no matter how small, how meager, or how little they might seem, God says it's okay. I got this. Because I can take what you do. I can take what you have. And I can make it enough. God is bigger than our ability. God has not only promised to provide for those who give, but has also promised to use our gifts no matter how small or large, to advance his kingdom. God isn't limited by our abilities, only by our faithfulness. God isn't limited by your income, by my income. He's only limited by our faithfulness to that. Let that sit in for a minute. Consider that it's not the amount. Consider that it's never been the amount. As God said, though, I'm the one that provides seed to the sower, and I cause the harvest. I can make it work. Are you willing to trust me? It's faithfulness that gets in the way, not volume. Verse 11. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. I want you to hear that again. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. You will be blessed in order for you to be a blessing. Right, these blessings, these things that are poured out are not just to dead end into you. I will give you more so you can do more. Remember the parable of the talents, the parable of the minas, the two parables we start out with. Right? Jesus in this parable gives away to his servants. He gives 10 
talents to one, five talents to another, one talent to another, or 10 minas. He gives each, each servant a mina, and they go out and they double it. Some double it. Some put it to work and receive back multiple. And he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a little. I will give you a lot. And then to the one who does nothing and just buries his treasure, he says, listen, to him, I will take what he has and I will give it to the others. Because they'll go and do what is called to. You are faithful to the little, he'll give you more. Whether that be time, money, again, this isn't that. But our faithfulness causes God to want to entrust to us more. As a church, the more faithful we are, God will entrust us with people that need Jesus. It's just true across the board. But if we're not discipling people, if we're not caring about people, if we're not teaching people, we're not doing that, why would God send anybody else? If we're not giving, if we're not being faithful, if we're not trusting God in this area that hits us the deepest, why would he give us more? Verse 12, for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but also overflowing into many thanksgivings to God. Giving funds ministry inside and outside the church. Next week, we're going to go through our 2020 budget, kind of a recap of our 2019 budget, and what we're looking to do in 2020. We'll get to that. We'll have some stuff for you next week. I'll do that with you. But I want you to hear this. This year, we gave more than 10% of what we took in as a church. We gave away more than 10% outside of our church. Okay? Got in close to just under $450,000. And that's through our rental income there, giving here. It's a little lower than that. We gave away about $50,000. Okay? So we gave away more than our 10%. Here's what we gave it to him. This is the only reason I bring it up. We're not patting ourselves on the back. I want you to hear what we did with it. 10,000, uh, 20,000 went directly to widows and orphans to care for widows and orphans. Out, in many cases, things that we won't even see. The Family Table LA that will invest in lots of churches partnering with the LA County foster care system. At least half of that went directly to widows and orphans in need to the people, not organizations. 25, a little more, almost 30,000, no, 25,000, just be safe, went to church planting, some locally, some globally. Four or $5,000 went to local Southern California campus ministry. We're still to write those two checks this week, but they are last year's giving that is going out to people doing campus ministry, some in urban areas and some in other areas, but campus ministry uh, crew, like Campus Crusade for Christ, you're familiar with that? Local campus ministry in Southern California. They went out beyond us. That means we gave away expecting nothing from it. Those are the things that you get to be a part of, as well as the counseling of people who are in need and the, the discipleship of people and the sharing of the gospel to people and the staffing. And, and yeah, it's not exciting or sexy, but the light's got to come on when we want them on, Right? <laughs> We have some tech struggles here and there. For the most part, they still turn on because we have electricity. And no, that's not fun to give to, but somebody's got to do it. So some of it's church. Much of it goes out as well. Each one of our ministries looks beyond itself out into the community. We'll close with this. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ. Verse 13, back to the gospel. They will know because you were faithful in this area, because you were submitted to the gospel. And the generosity, second half of verse 13, and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. Verse 14, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Always pointing back to the gospel for the reason we do anything. We're not trying to earn God's love. We're not trying to work our way towards salvation. Always in response to what God has done. So I'm going to close with this. This will be really quick. I'm going to, I want to give you one question, and I want to give you five things the Bible says directly about tithing, okay? So these will be on your app. You don't have to frantically take notes or pictures. We can give those to you, but I'm going to start with this. So if tithing is commanded, where do we start, right? That's right out of our passage today. Each one must give as he has decided in your heart. This is a gospel issue. This starts in our heart. Are we willing to lay down the thing that is probably most dear to us, or the thing that we struggle with the most, each one must do as they've, con- they've committed to in their heart. 
Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. You just think I'm trying to beat you into this? Don't do it. But your fight's with God, not with me. So that leads kind of the next one. So don't shoot the messenger. (laughs) Is tithing biblical? Is it something God speaks seriously about? Here's in Malachi 3. Probably one of my favorite verses on this. Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? He, God, answers in your tithes and contributions. Tithes and. Second Corinthians 9 is the and. He says you're not even doing it. So you can argue with me. You can argue with Scripture. You can get mad at me or you can get mad at Scripture. It's God who said it. Take it up with him. <laughs> All I want you to hear is he takes this seriously. Therefore, we have to take it seriously. Next one. Number two. Tithing is the responsibility of every believer. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law. Justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. There's an image for you. Here's the point he's making. You don't get to pick doing one thing or the other. You don't have to go, let me rephrase that. You don't get to go, hey, you know what? I serve in the church, therefore I don't give. Oh, I play in the band. I work at the church, so I don't give. You don't get to pick. Here's what he says to the people that give. Hey, you tithe, like down to the letter, 10% of all your little spices and all your little goodies. Here's what you do, but you've forgotten the other stuff. You need to do that and not forget this. He's saying you don't get to pick. This is for everyone, regardless of what you do or don't do. Countless people over the last 15, 20 years of ministry have said, I don't serve, I give. They should read this. That's you, you should read this. Others have said, I don't give, I serve. Again, take it up with the author. Jesus is saying this directly, you should do both. Don't do one and forget the other. And you can flip them. Don't do this one and forget the first one. Number three, tithing is to the church, not other organizations. I add this in, you would think this is a given, but as the younger people get in the church, millennials specifically, we don't know what Gen Z is going to do next, but the younger you get, the more likely you are to be generous, broke, and give outside the church, not to the church. Cause-based giving is the number one thing millennials do. Now, if you're here and you're that World War II generation or Korea generation or better, you were probably raised in a church and taught to tithe. So you were taught to do this. If you were Gen X like me or younger, you were probably not raised in a church and were never told. Unless someone in the church told you. The tithing goes to the church that that is the place where God has said, I will, I will accomplish my kingdom work through this. There are other things, parachurch organizations. There are things that, organizations that come alongside the church, like the Family Table LA, that partners LA County foster care with LA County churches. That's why we gave to them. And you are free to give to them. Understand that tithing comes to the church. It is given to the church not I choose where it gets to go. Make sense? Again, when we get to choose, we're saying we're in charge. When God chooses, safer. Okay, number four. Tithing is not an issue of the heart. Or it is an issue of the heart, not the wallet. No one can serve two masters, for either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This is a heart issue. This is not a money issue. If you have an income, it's for you. In fact, it's fair across the board. You have a lot of money, it's a lot for you. If you have a little money, it's a little for you, right? It's not based, and that's number five. Let's go to number five. And Jesus sat down opposite the treasury, and he watched the people putting money into the offering box. I'm going to read. So tithing is about faithfulness, not amount. This is going to be a two-slide thing, I think. But So Jesus sat down opposite the treasury. So as they're going to the temple, there's a treasury, and their giving goes there. Kind of like our offering baskets, that's where the Jews would take their offering. They're tithing, they're offering everything. And Jesus sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting in money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him, and he said, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those 
who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Can you back up one slide? Tithing is about faithfulness, not amount. The God who gives seed to the sower also causes the harvest. He watched this woman who gave nothing financially, everything to her, nothing compared to the volume of the gifts of the wealthy that came and did their thing. And he says, she's the one that gets it. We will do a lot of practical things. We'll do some podcasts. We've got financial peace. We will do more. If this is a topic that comes up more, we'll do more practical things. How do we get there? How do we start? What do we do? Next week, we'll talk about budget. Where is it going? This week, we're going to talk about what does God call us to do? What has God given us that we are not allowed to bury? But God has given us an income, and he's told us what he would desire. Let us as a church respond in faithfulness from our heart, trusting God. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. As this can be a challenging subject, as it can be hard when we feel broke, it can be harder maybe if we feel wealthy. It all hits the same place. It begins in a place of us thinking what we have is ours and missing that we got it from you. So God, forgive us in our hearts. Help us to understand. It is fair to hear something, be challenged by it, have questions. Let us have more conversation, Lord. Help me as a pastor to know that this is an area that affects people's hearts and discipleship, faith, gospel, and allow me to do better. Rather than ignoring this or using it as an idea, maybe, as an application somewhere, let's talk. Well, let's be honest. Let's do what your scripture says to do. Help us that we could be faithful, Lord, in one of the most challenging places that we have to be faithful. Let us pursue you well, honor you well, and be faithful in our giving, Lord. As that impacts people, as that changes whatever, help us as a church to be good stewards of what you've given us, Lord. Help us to do well, to be wise, our elders, help us to honor you in every facet, including our money, Lord. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.